Hello, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Perot. Today on the show, I have Fidel McGurk, founder and CEO of Payslip. Payslip is a island-based payroll company that does work all around the world. I brought her on the show to talk about the challenges of what that means in working in multi-jurisdictions and any number of other complexities that come with that. And with that, here's my interview with Fidelma. Fidelma, thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, great to talk to you, Jason. So Fidelma McGurk of Payslip, tell us about Payslip. So Payslip is a technology company and we provide a global payroll control platform to multinational companies. And what that means is that multinational companies naturally have staff and contractors and resources spread across different jurisdictions. And payroll is very specific to each country. It has, there are different rules and regulations and pay elements and comp details in different countries. But as an international employer, they usually need to be able to manage the process in a very growth efficient way and a very uh, compliant way. And what Payslip enables a multinational company to do is to integrate all of their IT systems and their payroll providers in different countries into Payslip so that all of the data flows in a very secure, structured and standardized way across all of the different countries and that there is a single global level process by which all payroll is managed. And essentially it delivers three things to our customers. Firstly, that they have execution excellence, which helps their compliance. Secondly, that they have scale-up control so that they can adopt a new country and go live in a new country very quickly, very important in the time of the talent war. war. And thirdly, that they have direct access in a self-serve way to all of their payroll data so they can derive really good actionable insights and bigger picture visibility over what's happening at the cost level and what's happening at the trend level. And that informs really important strategic decisions to the use of Payslip's global payroll control platform. Yeah, so, I mean... <laughs> How many Very countries exciting, Jason, isn't it? It's a, well, I mean, here's the thing. So let's not let's not diminish the complexity of what we're talking about. How many countries are you currently operating in? So, oh, it's about 83 countries. 83 countries. Each of them with their own different regulations and rules surrounding payroll deductions, taxation, and you know, even just employer compliance. Absolutely. A, and you can get really yeah. nerdy. Yeah. Yeah. You have lunch and vouchers in Canada. We have bike allowance in Ireland. They have church tax in Germany. And like you can't even ask the religion in most countries because it's discriminatory. So the rules are very different and very detailed. So your system has to be able to uh, cater for all of those different requirements. You're absolutely correct. So let's uh, before we jump into that, let's talk about the origin of the company. How did this come about? Yeah, so I founded the company in 2016, and my previous life involved the setup and management of operations across 21 countries for a tax company that I was uh, leading. And Just talk about because I, I can't imagine the complexity of that, but continue. Yeah, it was great fun. Yeah, and you know, when you go into a new country, Jason, peril is never your first driving topic. It's usually to hire some great staff or find a new supply chain link or, you know, find a new resource of some sort into the market. And then payroll is very much kind of a housekeeping question that has to be set up really quickly because, oh my goodness, we've just hired loads of people. They need to get paid on time. So very often what happens, which is what happened to my experience, is that you find a good accounting firm or payroll company and the payroll gets up and running. But then after a few months, you're trying to compare the total cost of a computer scientist in one country against another country or to see how come your employer cost was more than you expected Try and find out if it was FX, the exchange, due to the exchange rate or due to uh, some extraordinary charge that month. 
And really what I found was all the data was trapped. And you know, this amazing payroll data could tell me great stories. It's trapped in spreadsheets that were different in every country. And I, I just always remember that problem. I also remember some other kind of inconsistencies that arose where payroll providers in certain countries would tell you that you had to file a certain report within a week and it needed to be apostilled and notarized. Like there was no physical way to get it back in time to prove in time and, and you were going to end up being non-compliant. So there were just lots of avoidable situations that we had to manage. And I always remember this, that across 21 countries, we really should have better ownership and actionable decision-making coming out of the data that actually belonged to us. So I, I left that company and did some other things. And um, actually, I moved to the west of Ireland with my family. And for everybody's welcome, but for anybody who's been here, and I think, Jason, you said some of your family has been here, like there are some great uh, tourism destinations. There are some great businesses in the west of Ireland, but it's one of the lesser economically developed areas. So I had to sit down and work out how to make sure I didn't I didn't get into trouble by doing nothing. I had to find something to do. And really what I did was I made a list of key business problems that I had experienced over my 17 years of international business leadership. And I kept coming back to those examples I just gave you. And I figured, well, you know, payroll is a recurring process. It recurs every pay period in every country, even though there are lots of specifics in every country which are unique. There are also lots of commonalities about the workflow at a global level. So I figured if I could identify a global level of abstraction, which we could automate, then there may be a way in having a technology solution for automating global payroll management. And that's what I said I had to set up and pace up in 2016. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I'm still just boggled by the complexity of all this, right? I think to myself, like, you know, I'm sure, you know, in your previous instance of your, of your job, I mean, how many different payroll services were you using? I mean, it had to number, if you were dealing with, with over two dozen countries, I'm sure that the payroll processors may have been anywhere between a dozen to two dozen to deal with it as well. well we, we had one per country. So we had 21 countries and 21 providers. And what I find happens in the market is you'll have some employers who say, okay, well, we're only going to choose a big four company in each of the different 21 countries. And we're going to try and choose the same partnership group because then we'll have some commonality. But even they're not really choose, common though, right? They're like all like they're, you know, they're, the they're logos are the same, but the franchises are all completely different. Yeah, they're totally different partner companies in each firms in each country. So there is no commonality. If you're using one of the big four in 21 countries, it's the same as using 24, 20 in 21 countries, the same as 21 different countries. Sorry, if you, you to end we'll edit that part. part out, it's fine. Yeah, if you're using, if you're 21 countries and you've 21 offices from one accounting network, that's the same as having 21 providers because they all provide the data in different way. Their, their service levels are a little bit different and really you're managing 21 vendors. But my issue with global payroll management is that over the last 50 years, the only model that was offered to large multinational employers for managing global payroll centrally was to outsource the services to one provider, right? So unless you're Intel or GE or Lidl, and you have a large number of employees in every country, if you have that, you can buy SAP payroll, you can buy Oracle. SAP is in 42 countries, Oracle's in 19, but then it's a very heavy investment model. You've staff tied up with it, you've big implementation costs, it's very sticky. So that model doesn't work for any companies who have small numbers of employees in some countries. And so the vast majority of all multinational companies have a few countries with loads of people and then lots of countries with smaller numbers of people. And so then the only model that the market offered was this services aggregator. Come to us, the services aggregator, you have one contract, 
one throat to choke and we'll manage all of these different country providers. But there's lots of multinational companies who don't want to do that. They want to have a direct relationship with the payroll company. They don't see there's a problem finding them because they already find their accountants and their lawyers. So what's the big deal? So the actual management issue is a process management. It's not actually finding the services or the vendors. And so they're the kind of companies that I set up Payslift for or for the companies that said, well, we're already international, we're already in 19 countries. We have different payroll providers. We're not worried about them. They're providing the service. But actually, we have automated our HR ops and we have automated our finance ops. And now we have global payroll as a process. It's mission critical. It sits somewhere between HR and finance. It usually belongs to finance. And we want to have one standard way of working around the world. We want to have tools that are useful that can automate the manual work and reduce the risk. And then we want to be able to have one system of record for our global payroll data so that we know we're managing it carefully We and we know we can access it for the reporting. And that's why I set up Payslip to be that central global payroll management technology. Yeah, it's interesting. I think two pieces of this. One, your your personal work experience also overlapping with where you're domiciled. And what I'm getting at is like both of these play into why I think someone like you would find the solution simply because you saw a problem. But also what you'll find, and I've gone over this many times in this podcast, is that more often than not, most jurisdictions, especially large ones, typically engineer solutions solely for their jurisdiction. They don't necessarily yeah. do multi-custodial, multi-jurisdictional, you know, knowing that, hey, you know, I got to program in these compliance rules, but hold on, it's going to be different in like 70 other places, right? And and unless you design it that way from day one, it is super, super hard. It's basically a rebuild to basically yeah. be able to go multi-jurisdictional. So you saw the opportunity and also the reason why I said where you're located, because Ireland, similar to Canada in that regard, both markets tend to think multi-jurisdictional as opposed to, as opposed to like, I'll pick on the US in this case, the market's so big, they just don't care. Uh, you know, same thing can be said for Chinese providers. So we'll see. <laughs> so it's a really good point. And, and I would often personally interpret that the traditional services aggregator model is an American model. And that, that comes from the thinking that if you find really experienced payroll leaders in the U.S., um, four out of every five payslips in the U.S. are issued to the ADP platform. So ADP is like the biggest dominant. So painful. So painful domestic. to that platform to continue. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I can't comment on that. But like they're the single largest domestic payroll engine probably in the world, but definitely in the States. And then so many payroll people grow up using ADP software. And yeah. so if you've grown up using that, and, and also when you when people grow up in the US and uh, both personally and professionally, there's a very strong tax communication every year, January to April, file on time, don't be late. You know, our taxes are complicated. Make sure you use a good agent, get it done right and on time. So then you have this like composition, like conglomerate of information coming in to say, okay, well, we are a complicated tax system. We have federal tax, we have state tax, we have local tax. And now we have one system, the ADP system, who, which can solve all payroll questions, even for vets, even for the entertainment industry. And we have one system for 51 states, for all these different taxes. So if we can have it in the states and our taxes are complicated, then we can have one system for the next 51 countries. And the great. 51 countries the could currency. be... <laughs> what? That's a great, change the currency. <laughs> Oh yeah, change the currency, yeah, and change the name of, I don't know, the field or something. Yeah. And, and then the next 51 countries go from Canada through to Ireland, through to like China, and there's no comparison at all in the payroll. So that I think that aggregator model makes sense to have grown, as you said, out of a jurisdiction that had that one-size-fits-all model. 
But when you get to Ireland, as you said, I think you were being generous to Ireland. Like obviously Canadian market's much bigger than the Irish market. But you can't comparing, be, we're comparing two very small ponds. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> you can't grow a business in Ireland to be really successful and only sell in Ireland because the Irish market isn't big enough. And that, that carries for most of the European countries, really. Like even Germany and France are massive, but they're still not as big as like the US. So it means that in Europe, and I expect in Canada, there's a default outward approach to looking at what you're going to build as your business and what you're going to have to be ready for it. What does growth efficiency look like? It means that you have to be very agile. You have to have an operational model that's agile. You have to have an organization that can grow quickly. You need to have a competence in your team to know how to do business in different kinds of jurisdictions. So I definitely would say that being based in Ireland I've never worked in a team that was all based in the same room as me over 20 years. I've never, like remote working, when people talk about it as a new thing, I think it's hilarious. I've only ever worked with people that were in loads of different countries. So yeah, I think we would naturally, like being based out of Ireland or Canada, have an outward looking approach to saying, what can we build that will solve multi-country questions or problems that have been unserved over time? Yeah. And honestly, I mean, I look at your situation too. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm just astounded by the complexity of it all. I mean, so like we said, HR and compliance and pay, and, and taxation laws, all of them have to be updated. I mean, how do you stay on top of 80 countries worth of, of that material, especially given like yeah. the language challenges and God knows what else? Yeah. So just remember we're a technology, so we're not a services company. So when, when we go to our customers like Cloudera or LogMeIn or, or BitTitan, we're saying to them, you have multi-country payroll that you is. um it is unique in all the different countries but you want to manage it in a standardized and harmonized way so what our technology does is help unify the data model at the global level and help standardize the process at a global level so what we built in Payslip is a large workflow automation engine that standardizes across all the different countries but has lots of flexibility within that for the specifics per country. So you can have extra actions and requirements to be compliant in Canada that I don't need here in Ireland. And then somebody else needs something else in Germany, but they all get brought back up to a global level from a reporting and analytical perspective. So when our customers- day, You're not actually managing the minutia piece, like that's still being handled by the people, by the corporate yeah. companies that are specific to like, Again, don't replace a wheel though, like that's something that's that's working. What you're doing is you're basically taking the massive pain in the butt that is the management of all that, and you're streamlining that fully. We're automating exactly. We're automating that, and and the local payroll provider is providing the local country calculations. They're watching yeah. the changes in the laws all the time. They will update that to the customer, but they update everything through the yeah. system, and the data model allows it to happen dynamically every month. So really, we've solved the data issue and we've solved the process management issue, and then that delivers fantastic benefits like the reporting yeah. and the insights. But which um, is not a small issue in itself because those those rule changes still trickle up to you, right? So at the end of the day, you know the compliance something in terms of compliance gets changed in terms of regulation in any one country. You have to modify, stay on top of that, and make sure of that course. you're. Yeah, yeah, but we have a very flexible system, so we can we can adapt it as we need to very very easily. And then on the language side, which you raised, our operating system, the operating language is English, but payroll is usually produced by somebody that has the local country expertise, and it's not necessarily the manager that was signing the contract for the customer. So all the payroll data goes over and back to the payroll providers in both English and in their local language, whether that's Chinese Mandarin or whether it's German, it doesn't really matter. So it means that what's very good then is our employer, 
they may have a central parent team based in the Netherlands and they're all working through English and they may or may not have one person in Singapore and one person in LATAM. That would be a normal-ish model, for example. And then they have parent going in and out of Spain. So the local Spanish provider will receive it in English and Spanish. The Dutch-based team can operate everything in English. And if any of the Spanish employees have a query, it means that the employer can log in in the Netherlands and they can see everything in English and in Spanish. So they can have that conversation with the employee easily because they're looking at apples and apples instead of apples and oranges. It's all very comparable. So, uh, yeah, impressive. I mean, at the end of the day, it was smart. You know, you, you took... It's interesting. It was a problem that from the payroll, from the ground floor, like I need to pay someone perspective was quote unquote solved. It was the complexity layer over top of it that basically no one was approved, that people only like you were appreciating and businesses were throwing bodies at. So getting smart, good on you for recognizing that opportunity. I'll say that much. Yeah, well, the, I suppose I came rather from an employer perspective. Mm-hmm. So like all the current service providers, they've all built some level of software platform for exchange of data and to deliver their own services. But if you're a multinational employer like LogMeIn or Cloudera or any of our customers, Airbus, and they have different payroll service providers, they don't want to be logging into different software that each service provider has built just for their own part of the process of their own country. They want to decide how they automate their whole process from the beginning to the very end. And so having the flexible model for the payroll providers to be hooked into our system and to be up and running with automated flows within four days gives a major ramp up advantage if they're moving into new countries. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody in a positive note. First one is, if you had one wish for something you can change in your company or in the industry as a whole, what would it be? Thanks uh, everyone. <laughs> if there was one thing I could change. Well, I think we are probably trying to change it. And that's probably kind of a bit of a fudge answer, <laughs> Jason. But like payroll is a bit like IT tech support. It's difficult to be recognized until something goes wrong. And if if you don't hear anything about it, it usually means that it's all running very well. But, but payroll itself is it's not a very high profile area, but it's essential. And getting paid every month and paying your employees the right amount on time is the fundamental physical embodiment of the contract of trust and the contract of employment. So we do want to try and help payroll people move from manual to automated and therewith also into more strategic insights. So we're trying to bring them more to the front to say, we can tell you really interesting things that are happening in the business by showing you what the story what the story is in our data. Uh, so that's that's kind of what we're working on. I hope, I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. Second question I have for you is, what's been the biggest challenge in the company where it is today? It was really the education around it. So the established services aggregator model has been around for more than 40 years. Um, And there's some very successful companies in that space, and they spend a huge amount of money and time investing the industry with the idea that this is the only way to solve things is centralize your services get rid of all the people the payroll providers in the 10 countries that are servicing you well come to us because we have a magic bullet but there's no magic bullet so the challenge has been that we came in so i set up the company in 2016 we launched at the end of 2017 we're live with customers in payroll 2018 and then i, I was going to the large international payroll association conferences and it was a really new idea to only attack the management of the payroll not the services and when you are setting up a startup advice to any new founders out there if you're setting up a startup to build a software platform 
it would be much easier to set up something for the SME sector. Because at least if you're setting it up for the SME sector, you can talk to the owner and he or she can make a decision and you can move on. If you're selling into the B2B large enterprise companies, they want to make sure that they have somebody else to talk to, not just for them in the rest of Ireland. So you actually have to build what I call the building blocks. You have to build the delivery team. You have to make sure you're well capitalized. You have to have customer references for them that they trust that are comparative and relevant. You have to get your information security certifications. Like There's lots of building blocks you have to put in place. And they take a lot of time and money. So while you're investing that over three or four years, you also have to keep signing up customers at different sizes. And you have to make sure that they're not going to get fired for not choosing IBM. So you're busy trying to say there's a different way of doing it. Trust us. But they're large corporates, so they need to prove their procurement model works and they have to de-risk it and they can't re-risk it with a small company. So you need to prove the validity of the system as well as the credibility of your company and the longevity of it. So that's a bit tricky. (laughs) <laughs> Two very interesting observations there. The first one being the old story of no one gets fired for hiring IBM or Microsoft. And it's, yeah, it's amazing. You can, those companies can charge outmoded premiums for the fact that there are large recognizable names that no one's afraid are going to go out of, out of business tomorrow. Although maybe IBM, but let's, um, but I digress on that point. The second the, one, which I, is The advisors also, sorry, Jason, to cut across you, but there are like advisors that are paid a lot of money in every market. And I've talked to oh. lots of them and well, they, they also don't want to, be seen to recommend anything that may be risky. So they actually keep recommending the same thing. So they get these huge amounts of fees sometimes, but actually the reports are very much the same as the, the previous reports. 100%. They need, you know, that we, we kind of need some of them and uh, to be more open-minded and to take a risk to find something that's really innovative and, and honestly to be very customer centric in their approach rather than like safety centric. Yeah, it, it is such a racket. I, I feel like companies get to a certain level and then they only know they're only going to hire the top tier uh, consulting firms who charge extortionate amounts to then do work that other firms would do for a fraction of the cost. And it's like, I see this in the Salesforce world all together. I remember I was at a, had a, another at a wealth management firm contact me and, you know, they started talking about their implementation and how much it was costing. And I asked, who are you using? And it was one of the big consulting firms like, are you out of your mind? Like contact your Salesforce rep and ask them for a mid-level player. It will cut your bill by 40%. And sure enough, it did. I said, and I basically, I said, actually the better option is hire two technicians in st- in-house to build it yourself because it'll cost you a fraction of that. So they didn't want to do well, that. Well, we have a really good thing. example of that. If you go, so Workday is one of the leading HCMs in, in yeah. our customer target space. And, and the, the implementation is, is good. We have customers on Workday. We have automated integrations coming in from Workday for all the inputs. We've automated integrations sending the payslips back. And if you go to any of the system integrators, like over 80% of Workday implementations are done through system integrators. And if you go with the classic top tier ones, they charge 220, they, they quote for 222 development hours for an integration from Workday into a payroll provider, 222 hours. So you multiply that by whatever you think the rate is, right? Not small. Where in Payslip, we do the integration directly into Payslip. We have the integration down to the payroll providers, so they don't need that at all. And for the integration coming in, we went live with Cladera last year in 21 countries, including the Workday integration in four months, 21 countries. You know, so there's no need for it to be 222 hours. These are are extortionate (laughs) premiums being charged for the name. Like that's basically it. Like that's all it comes down to. All right. And the, um, so I could go for a while on the, on the pricing dynamics of top tier firms and how 
by default, too many companies at a certain level default to, well, we can only, we can't risk this. So we got to trust only the biggest name, but there's plenty of people below that who are very, very proven on very large scale deployments who do it for, for significantly less. And it's just, it's uh, just, you got to expand, got to not be afraid to, to go somewhere other than Microsoft or IBM as an example. So, but anyway, is what it is. So the last question I have for you is what excites you and keeps you getting up in the morning every day to keep on fighting the good fight that is the struggle of entrepreneurship? Well, you know what? It's funny. It's easier now. It's actually easier now than when you found the company at the start. Because when you found the company at the start, you actually are doing all the jobs yourself because you don't have a team. Now that we're five years in, we have really good capitalized partners with Middle Game and, and Moro Ventures. And we have a great team. We increased the team last year from 27 people to 74 people in six months. So I have really good people who have excellent experience, some of them actually from Workday, who actually want to do the jobs that I was doing because I was the founder. So when you're the entrepreneur and it's five years in and it's pretty established, then your job actually kind of changes and you actually get to do the piece you're good at, which is like keep finding more spaces to innovate and how to even make it better. So that's the most exciting bit is like the products and the, and the sales really, because when we see that we have customers using our software every single payday, like every payday, every pay cycle, every week, every fortnight, every month, that's really exciting because they are the best companies in the world and they're innovative and they're really progressive. So it's normal for our customers to double in size every 18 months. So imagine that you're going from 14 countries 14 payroll providers, you know, with all the uniqueness and complexity you talked about, and they have a team of three doing it. And then over 18 months, they grow to 28 countries. They might have some contractors as well, some employees of record, and they still have the same three people running payroll because our system delivered scalability to them. That's very exciting. And so a lot more of that and a lot more customers is really what we're about and finding more ways to automate. So this huge zero touch project that we do to make sure that the customers have to do less and less themselves. And the system produces really interesting validation reports and saves them a lot of time and really good insights. So we're, we're doing a lot of interesting things on all of our robotic uh, inventions and software this year. I just remember the second point I was going to make in the previous one. I'm going to go back to it. It's the the interesting challenge you have in going to those conferences is that, uh, in, and I find this in enterprise software all the time, is if you're not talking to the person at the top, you're talking to the people whose job might be replaced by what it is you're selling, which always leads to an interesting dynamic on whether or not they want you to know, the company to know about it. <laughs> you know, I, I get asked that, like, can I reduce my team if I implement payslip? And all of the customers that we're talking to are growing. So actually, we've yeah. never seen them cut any of the staff because they implemented payslip. But we see that the work that the staff are doing has changed fundamentally from really basic manual stuff into like really proper strategic insights. And then the scalability, like they've gone from 14 countries to 28 and they still have a core team of only three people. Like that's phenomenal scalability. And it's not because they're working longer hours. It's actually because the system is one unified system across all the world. And, and also they can swap in and out. If they, they actually get to go on holidays, which is amazing. Going on holidays on a payday never happens for payroll people, but it doesn't have a payslip. <laughs> The dynamic I never thought of, but yeah, it's it's interesting. It's I actually find the same phenomenon. It's more often than not, those people are not let go. They're repurposed for higher, not heavy lifting jobs. Because at the end of the day, even if you're not growing, there's always more work to be done in the business. And a lot, I think about a lot of employers almost look at these people as quote unquote sunk costs. They already have employees. They trust. They know. Who understand the company. You can probably be retasked to something else. But I find it just depends on who you. If you're talking to management of those people they will probably get it. If you're talking to those people directly as trying to get in, you know, they kind of look at their job as putting that peg in that hole 
And if I'm not putting that pig in the hole, what am I doing? And I honestly find that that's sometimes a very almost in, damning indictment of where they think their value is. I, yeah, I, I would have to argue with you on that one, Jason, like in really? terms of, in, into the defense of all the parallel We'll talk people. after this. <laughs> Pardon? Well, I'll share some stories after this. We continue. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, listen, it's great to talk to you today, Jason, on your podcast. Excellent. Thank you for, for joining us. So that was my interview with Fidel McGurk of Payslip. Hope you enjoyed that. And if you are a multinational company looking to better manage your payroll compliance, take a look at Payslip. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.